Latasha Morrison has made it on the New York Times bestseller list for her book, Be the Bridge. Heavily promoted at the IF Gathering conferences, this book is the introduction to her racial reconciliation ministry of the same name. And those who read her book and feel led to join her ministry are required to go through several months of re-education before being given a chance to enter the discussion. Today, I want to look at the first guidebook for re-education targeted toward white people alone and address the tenets this ministry insists they learn about, helping white people decenter their whiteness. So let's dive in, shall we? Last year, Be The Bridge created a document called Whiteness 101 that's a free resource available for download on our website. It's for anyone wanting to better understand race and the concept of whiteness and how it shapes the conversation around race in our country. Why do you think whiteness education is something that we need to explore? Well, when I talk about not centering whiteness in discussions about race, I think it's really important to recognize the difference between understanding whiteness and uh, centering whiteness, because I think it's healthy to understand this system of whiteness that we have inherited, which is a system that was created to benefit people who look white or people who are white passing. But centering whiteness is different from understanding whiteness. So centering whiteness means that I put my pride before the lives of my brothers and sisters of color. Uh, that's really the bottom line. Whiteness is centered in so many ways in our daily lives that it, it becomes hard, uh, difficult for even us white people to recognize. Honestly, we just think that's the way it is. Right. We have to recognize that there's a difference between white skin color, this, this hue that God created me, I believe is beautiful, just as all you know skin colors that God created. But a skin color, our white skin color is different from this centering whiteness. And so you know, decentering whiteness in our own lives takes a lot of time and work. And so we have to develop the eyes to see just how powerfully we've been shaped by whiteness. Big Bridge places a lot of the focus on listening to and learning from people of color. But there's also some important internal work that white people need to do as well. When white people don't understand some of the basic tenets of whiteness, it's hard to fully engage in the work of racial reconciliation. For this reason, we have created a resource that breaks down the four W's. White supremacy, white fragility, white identity, white privilege. There is some unpacking to do there, so you can go to bethebridge.com for a full breakdown of each of those four W's. So with that said, we know what Be The Bridge classes and trainings are for, but Mariah digs a little deeper to get into the who these classes and trainings are for. Listen. Who is this class for, Gina? Who is this this target that we're looking for? Uh, well, Latasha Morrison designed this class specifically for white people. So they would have a space that they can talk about some of these issues, right? So one of the things that we say a lot in 101 is that as white people, hopefully our desire is to contribute to the healing of racial injustice and not to further exacerbate uh, or create more harm. But unfortunately for this to happen, this means we really have to prioritize learning. You know, we don't have the lived experience of being a person of color in this country. And so Therefore, there's a lot that we don't know. In fact, we're taught things like colorblindness growing up, right? So I've tried to create a space in 101 uh, where I am uh, bringing to life Tasha's vision, uh, where white people can ask all the what I call stupid questions, you know, things you may have wondered about but were afraid to say. Latasha often says, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot that we don't know about the depth and breadth of racial history in this country. And, and it's okay. That, that you start there, but what's not okay is just perpetually living in that ignorance. I call that will for ignorance. Whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and way of life have been normalized. Normalized to the degree that they're considered standard, standard practices in the United States. Now, I thought, I thought that this was simply uh, American culture, right? But, that, but that's what's being attempted. What's being attempted is to attach uh, American culture to something uh, connected to melanin, and as a result, we're gonna we're gonna look at, at melanin as something that's sinful, uh, and, and and because of that, we can we can talk poorly about it, which lends us, leads us right into the idea of the new racism. Okay, so whiteness is white people, their traditions, their attitudes, and way of life that have been normalized over time to be considered standard practices. The idea of the new racism is not a particular to an ethnic group. 
The new racism is not particular to an ethnic group. Well, why do I say that? Well, we, we talked about yesterday how, how ethnicity or race, race in particular rather, is a social construct. And so what happens with race being a social construct, they can target the new racism at anybody. It doesn't matter the color of your skin anymore, right? This, this new phrase can be leveraged at anyone. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm your host, Malbatos. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hey ladies, welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. If you are new, welcome. This podcast is meant to be a resource to help you with discernment and provide an apologetic for why scripture is sufficient to equip you in your discipleship and really for just all of life. And as I'm doing this, I expose popular teachings, ministries, speakers, etc. within women's ministry to show you what they are teaching and discipling other women into. Um, I hope to reveal how they either contradict scripture or either undermine the the sufficiency of scripture. I would eventually like to present good teachings or teachers within the women's ministry, and Lord willing, I hope to do that in the coming season. But I've taken this season to dive into Jenny Allen's If Ministry looking at the highly popular If Gathering conference, their leadership conferences, the small group study guides, and the connected ministries promoted within this ministry. We've been diving into one of the more popular ministries promoted at If from the very beginning, and that is Latasha Morrison's Racial Reconciliation Ministry, Be the Bridge. In the last couple of episodes, we tackled the connection between what Be the Bridge teaches and what critical race theory teaches. These next episodes, I want to expose what Latasha Morrison is teaching white people in her Be the Bridge 101 small group discussion guide. Before I do, I want to talk a little about how this has even gotten into the evangelical church. So from the very beginning, Jenny Allen has had Latasha Morrison as a speaker at the IF Gathering. We'll dive into IF's popularity and influence in the church in another episode. It'll actually be my conclusion episode around the IF ministry. But I want you ladies to understand that Jenny not only had a hand in the spreading of the Be the Bridge ministry, but also had a hand in starting the ministry. As if gathering grew and our culture dealt with the ever-growing racial tension, Be the Bridge launched off as a small group discussion group of which not only Jenny Allen, but other so-called powerhouses, these are Allen's words, not mine, powerhouses within the evangelical women's ministry sphere attended this group for racial reconciliation. Eventually, and with the guidance of Jenny Allen, Be the Bridge became not only a small group study for churches, but actual DEI training for church leadership, businesses, universities, and other community and nonprofit organizations. At the ground level is a small group discussion group that can be started by anyone and is the gateway or doorway into the more structured community groups like church leadership, organizations, high schools, uh, universities, and large and small businesses. I think most people don't know this. Most people think Be the Bridge is simply a book Latasha Morrison wrote on racial reconciliation within the church and don't really know the tendrils that it has unless you actually dive into the ministry. And the If Gathering has and had a hand in the growth of this nonprofit ministry. As a woman who attends the conference, whether in person or online through an if local, we'll hear Latasha Morrison and some of her Be the Bridge leaders give talks and promote the 
be the bridge book. From there, a woman can be encouraged to start a small discussion group, hoping to equip her attendees for racial reconciliation. With a heart to bring peace and a desire for justice, but a lack of discernment, women end up being taught to adopt the Marxist critical race theory worldview of oppressor-oppressed lens to earn racial righteousness. To become a bridge builder, one must take certain steps. And one of the first steps is to join the Facebook group. So in going to sign up for the Facebook group, Be The Bridge, which is a private group, which has about 71.5 thousand members. It's a lot of members. Um, they have you answer questions, of course, um, go over their guidelines. And the guidelines specifically stayed or the um, application sort of to fill out to be able to join the Facebook group mentions this. All members must complete a series of educational guides while observing three months of silence in the group, no posting or commenting. These include articles, videos, and podcasts so we can have common knowledge and goals. We are to check the boxes or comment agree. And the boxes state, I will refrain from commenting or posting in the group for three months. Reacting to posts is allowed. I will complete all education guides before posting or commenting, even if it takes me longer than three months to do so. So this is the thing that I wanted to, you know, kind of address here. They actually require that these guidelines and the previously known 101 white or previously known whiteness 101 guide for white people otherwise known as be the bridge 101 now is a guide it's one of those guides that i have to read before being able to comment or post and in essence have a say in the be the bridge group so this is what we're going to look at in the next um couple episodes and that is this guide created by Latasha Morrison and the Be the Bridge leadership that's specifically for white people. The guide was originally called like I said Whiteness 101 but it's been updated and titled Be the Bridge 101 Foundational Principles Every White Bridge Builder Needs to Understand. Okay so Let's dive in. Let's look at how Be the Bridge teaches white people to, as they would call it, decenter their whiteness. So what I want to look at first is their actual definitions, which I really appreciate that they give um, definitions on race and racism and white supremacy and stuff like that. So I want to hone in here, though, on race and racism. So on page five and six, we read this, quote, race is the social classification of humans into categories based on a broad range of physical characteristics such as skin color, facial features, and hair texture. Racial categorization is not based on biology, but on arbitrary distinctions which have shifted over time. And racism is defined this way, is a system of advantage based on race involving cultural messages, misuse of power, and institutional bias, in addition to the racist belief and actions of individuals. Now, it's just like we talked about in the last episode, um, looking at anti-racism and the anti-racist teachings in Be the Bridge. They use the same sort of definition that Ibram X. Kennedy does. Be the Bridge defines racism using the term within it. <laughs> they do not go into what a racist belief is, what a racist belief is here, but um, by these definitions, you must conclude that since racism is a system of advantage based on race and race being the social classifications of humans based on physical characteristics, then to have a, I guess, racist belief is to believe that certain physical characteristics grant certain advantages. And the implementation of these advantages or the perpetuating of these advantages are spurred on by cultural messages, misuse of power, and institutional bias. 
Now, after this Whiteness 101 guide that we're to read, there's an additional training class called Whiteness Intensive. That's a 14-week in-depth teaching on whiteness as they break down the core components of whiteness, looking deeper at privilege, culture, socialization, identity, supremacy, and fragility. And in this class, I give a more detailed definition for racism as explained in this whiteness intensive clip. White racial equilibrium. Our country was founded on a white supremacy ideology, which was enshrined in the founding documents. From the top officials in our political system to the top leaders in most industries, it feels normal for whiteness to have power. And even though you and I did not create the ideology, we were born into it, raised in it, and we absorb the value of whiteness, and this is a product of socialization. So white supremacy ideology has created systems that are founded in racism. A good definition of racism is economic, political, social, and cultural structures, actions, and beliefs that perpetuate an unequal distribution of privileges, resources, and power. While individual acts of racism exist in this definition, it's so much bigger. The new racism is centered not on hatred or enmity against a particular ethnicity or the act of partiality towards a specific skin color, but structures, actions, and beliefs that perpetuate an unequal distribution of power, privileges, and resources. By this definition, I can be displaying racism by paying one person more for a service than another, and that's going to be unequal distribution of a resource. Forget paying people or companies based on the quality of a service or product. The question is now, with this definition of racist and racism, what then is whiteness and what does that have to do with an unequal distribution of power, privileges, and resources? And that is the goal of this so-called guide, to start educating you the kind of uh, broad spectrum problems with whiteness and how to divest or decenter your whiteness as a white person. And it's right in the introduction that gives us the purpose of this book. And that is to inform white Christians that racial reconciliation is central to, quote, the church's gospel mission. Quote, Jesus came into the world to reconcile the world to himself and to reconcile formerly hostile communities to one another. Ephesians 2, 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus entrusted this ministry of reconciliation to the church. Racial reconciliation is not an optional aspect of the church or a niche issue reserved only for more liberal congregations. Racial reconciliation is central to the church's gospel mission. Now, I would say there is, of course, a twisting of scripture here to justify the purpose of the Be the Bridge ministry, by which they equate racial reconciliation to biblical reconciliation here. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking about hostility, a hostility or enmity against God and his law, informing us that we were dead in trespasses and sins, destined for wrath because of our rebellion against God that we as Gentiles were separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no help and without God in the world. This is verses 11 and 12. These were the only two communities of importance by biblical standards, the people of the world or the people of God. But in Christ, God abolished the enmity between the two groups, which was the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That's verses 14 and 15. And by abolishing it, making one new man in Christ, establishing peace and reconciling all in one body to God through the cross. And now those who are in Christ are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are all fellow citizens and members of one household, God's household, being built not on racial reconciliation or historical narratives or racial identities or intersections of oppression and solidarity among people of color, but built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, people who proclaim the gospel and made disciples who abide in and are sanctified by God's word. In 2 Corinthians 5, again, no mention of reconciliation between races, but a reconciliation between God and man, the ultimate reconciliation. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That was Second Corinthians 5 verses 14 to 21. Now, these verses are about reconciliation to the God whom we are hostile to and rebel against in our flesh. That reconciliation comes through Jesus Christ, who basically trust in the gospel and hope in him to make all things right. Not just individually between God and man, but there's also the promise to God's people of the new heavens and new earth that Christ brings. I would go so far as to say a new heavens and new earth that does not come about through man's work in social justice and racial reconciliation. I believe this social justice narrative found in ministries like um, If Gathering and Be the Bridge has this kind of disconnect rooted in Christian idealism. I mean, I that even though as we look at scripture, we see that the salvation and reconciliation to God was done entirely by the work of Jesus Christ. How in the world do we think that somehow we have the power to bring God's kingdom through social justice and racial reconciliation, through man's work? We were powerless to save ourselves, so how much more powerless are we to save the world? That's just a disconnect I see in these ministries. The second purpose for this guide given to us in the introduction is to call white people to join in the fight against America's, and I would even say all of Western culture or Europe, um, in there to fight against their original sin of white supremacy and its oppression of people of color. Quote, historically, the burden of dismantling white supremacy in our country has disproportionately fallen on the shoulders of people of color. As white people, it's past time for us to begin sharing this burden. More importantly, as white people, we must begin to understand that we are part of an interrelated network of mutality. When one group benefits from oppressing another, everyone suffers. End quote, page three, the guide. Are we whites really oppressing people of color? Or do they mean that whites receive certain advantages in our society? And because of this, we are oppressing or being complicit in oppressing people of color. So this got me thinking about what is oppression. What is oppression, more importantly, according to the Bible? In James 2.6, oppress is the rendering of, excuse me if I butcher this, katadunastio. Probably completely butchered that word, but it means to exercise harsh control over one or to use one's power against one. Now, this can include one group or individual exercising power over another group or individual, but there is an actual exercising of power and authority to subjugate and control the group or individual. One exercising one's privilege is not equal to one exercising power over another. It might be a privilege to walk into a convenience store and not be judged by another as a possible threat or a thief because I'm white or of a certain color, but that is in no way, shape, or form oppression on my part because someone else may show partiality towards me because of my race. Biblical oppression is in essence the outcome of injustice and unrighteousness, but not just anyone's idea or definition of injustice, right or wrong, or unrighteousness. But oppression is the outcome of rejecting God's law and standard for righteousness. 
And Jeremiah 29, 11 states, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, people like to twist this verse to teach Christians to cast a vision for their life or to create a vision board or use it even to give credence to a seeker-sensitive pastor's vision for his church and justify the rejecting of Christ's purpose for the church. But the verse is talking about how the law is a blessing to the people by restraining them. The law restrains oppression, so to fight oppression, one must go to God's law to understand what righteousness looks like and to see how justice should be executed when the law is transgressed. In scripture, we see often this connection between the law of God, righteousness, justice, and the result of injustice or oppression. Ecclesiastes 5.8 If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent taking away of justice and righteousness in a district, don't marvel at the matter, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and there are officials over them. The oppression of the poor is directly tied here to taking away justice and righteousness, not the exercising of one's privilege or the fact that one may have some sort of advantage while another does not. Isaiah 5-7 For the vineyard of Yahweh of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Again, oppression is tied to the lack of justice and righteousness. Isaiah 10-1 Woe unto them that decree iniquitous decrees, and to the writers that prescribe oppression. Here we see oppression tied to iniquitous decrees, meaning grossly unfair and immoral laws. Isaiah 30, 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on it. Now, in this context of the passage, the word is the word of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord, verse 9, given by his prophets who prophesy what is right in verse 10, rejecting God himself, proclaiming, let us hear no more about this Holy One of Israel. So see what is trusted in when people reject the knowledge and words of the Lord, they trust in oppression and perverseness. Isaiah fifty four fourteen, In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not be afraid, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. So according to God's word, it's not racial reconciliation that will defeat any form of oppression, but righteousness. And not a racial righteousness as Be the Bridge wants people to work on, but righteousness as laid out for us in God's word, the righteousness of God, not of race. But Be the Bridge's goal is, of course, not to fight oppression through teaching people the righteousness of God, but by emptying white people of their pride and urging them to suppress their need to be right, be heard, and to feel understood. Quote, Reconciliation begins when we say, I won't stay silent and let the sin of racism ravage what God created as good, racial and ethnic diversity. Reconciliation continues when we empty ourselves of our pride, as well as our need to be right, to be heard, or to feel understood. Now, remember Be the Bridges' definition in their whiteness-intensive uh, study, which is that racism is the system of advantage based on race. So let's replace some words with their definition. Let's state it this way. I won't stay silent and let the sin of unequal distribution of privileges, resources, and power ravage what God created as good, racial and ethnic diversity. So are we really wanting to say that by their definition, this is a transgression against God, or to say that what God really wants is all races to have equal privileges, resources, and power. Does God do this himself? Um, like thinking, does God grant all faith equally? Will God ultimately give an equitable outcome to all? So all will end up in heaven, or will all end up in hell? Maybe we can think this thought even currently, like, does God give miraculous power to all or to 
only the believers at Pentecost does he give all the same spiritual gifts, which are the same as saying spiritual resources. Well, no. Though all Christians are baptized into one spirit, there are different gifts given, all which produce different outcomes, but are of equal worth. This is a point Paul desires to convey in 1 Corinthians 12, where at the end of the chapter, he states, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all of these is a rhetorical no, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, he tells us, which is, he goes on to explain that the higher gift is love, the ultimate higher gift. So ultimately, we can see here from this passage that the Holy Spirit doesn't give um, equitable gifts to everybody, you know, all equally. Some people have the gift of helping, while others actually have a bit more power in and authority in their role as a preacher or a um, administrator. These roles are given by God himself. And as Paul stated earlier on in the chapter, they're all needed. They are all part of Christ and are of equal worth. But as we're going to see further on in this study guide, that there are certain things that white people have that people of color don't have, in which then they need to divest to produce an equitable outcome within the group. And that's what we're going to start looking at. Um, Though this episode, I'm only going to get into the first two, and then the next episode we'll um, tackle the second two. So the first two in this um, guide is white identity and white privilege. So the first step, of course, is for a white person to develop a white identity. The guide wants white people to start thinking about race and ethnicity and our history and root our identity in it. Because we are white, race is not typically, according to them, on our radar. Now, I would say this is a good thing, as race was a theory created by evolutionary theorists to exalt certain ethnic groups with certain, you know, physical characteristics as being more evolved than others. Or even as this guideline notes, the degenerative hypothesis, which purports that all other races other than the white race humanly deteriorated in some way. So why this guide for white people instructs them to root their identity in race, again, is beyond me. That's this whole dichotomy. I just can't get around my head here in looking at Be the Bridge and included with critical race theory. We are told by the guide that we fail to see how racialized our society is because we are blind to this. Again, this whole idea that we've adopted the colorblindness ideology, which to them is a no-no. We cannot see how race matters for people of color, making a profound difference in their, quote, life experiences and life opportunities and social relationships, end quote. So because race has an effect on people of color in our society, I guess Be the Bridge feels that whites too should come to understand how race plays a part in their life. Beatridge wants to help us develop healthy ways to identify with whiteness and use it to bring a just society. Well, eventually what we'll see is that the only good, healthy way to identify with whiteness is to divest of it. So quoting Beverly Daniel Tatum from her book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? They state this, Quote, the task for whites is to develop a positive white identity based in reality, not unassumed superiority. In order to do that, each person must become aware of his or her whiteness, accept it as personally and socially significant, and learn to feel good about it, not in the sense of clans, members, white pride, but in the context of a commitment to a just 
society. And then they state this, quote, the process of coming into a healthy white identity can take years. That's from page eight. It is essential to learn, or rather, unlearn and relearn our history and acknowledge the role we have played in the oppression of people of color. If we can push through the discomfort, we can gain a vision for capitalizing on our identity as white people in order to bring about a more just society and be a source of good in the world. That was a quote from page 10. What is the call to white people to help bring about a more just society? Be the Bridge wants its white bridge builders to investigate their white heritage, create a positive white identity by understanding how historically whiteness has oppressed people, except that we white people are still currently breathing in this whiteness that oppresses people of color, and instead of being willingly ignorant, become anti-racist. The anti-racist work for a white person is to identify whiteness in the systems, structures, community, and in themselves, and then working towards decentering, or we often hear the word divesting oneself of whiteness, which is to actively reject Western ideals, like we've seen in the previous episode, when they talked about colorblindness and the ideologies that come with colorblindness, the ideology or the philosophies of individualism, meritocracy, liberalism, etc., So these Western philosophies and ideas that were drawn from Judeo-Christian worldview. Stick around and you will see that Be the Bridge holds to the same idea that the Western ideas should be challenged when they talk about white supremacy. There's also a silencing of using these ideals to make an argument against the anti-racist narrative within a discussion group. You will see this when we go over white fragility and the 16 steps for white people. And again, I just want to point out that for Be the Bridge, a just society will not come about by implementing God's law or urging people towards Christ and God's righteousness as a foundation for justice, but giving people of color more power, authority, and a voice in institutions, businesses, community groups, and churches. We are encouraged to identify ourselves by race and identify others by race, to look at advantages and disadvantages, and then identify if they are rooted in race, or instead of maybe identifying the root cause of it, they automatically state or accuse them these things of being rooted in race. Most people are not going to really dive into all the reasons why someone might have an advantage while another person may not. But that is why CRT has such power because it gives a simplistic answer to why some are rich while others are poor, why some have certain material goods while others do not, why some live a certain way while others do not, etc. and etc. Instead of calling all Christians to look at themselves and root who they are in Christ, to identify as a sinner in need of him and pursue Christ-likeness, which grants all the same spiritual advantages and privileges. We may not all have the same gifts, but we definitely, in the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, have the same spiritual advantages and privileges, regardless of ethnicity, culture, skin color, etc., And identifying ourselves in this way would ultimately end oppression because Christ is the very thing that brings unity and diversity. Instead of basing the guide on that, this guide wants you to capitalize on your identity as a white person in order to bring about a just society. Don't capitalize, to use their term here, on God's law to bring a just society or faith in Christ's work as our source of good in this world, but focus on your fleshly, physical identity to bring heaven on earth. Be the bridge is not Christ-centered nor even gospel-centered. It's entirely focused on actively decentering whiteness and centering people of color, instructing people to focus on the literal flesh of individuals, to divide them into groups to regulate how much power and say the groups will have in the institution, business, community groups, churches, etc. Be the Bridge is actually a DEI training group 
calling itself a ministry among faith-based institutions. Nowhere in scripture does God call us to capitalize on our race and use it to bring a more just society. A just society comes from God's word, and as we saw in some of the verses I pointed out earlier, it's produced when people are in agreement that God and his commandments are good, and laws, decrees, policies, and morality should be centered on them, that righteousness is the result of obedience to them, and that punishment should be given to those who transgress them. This is how God says oppression is defeated, which makes use of power and authority executed rightly. All right, for step two, they want white people to acknowledge their white privilege. According to Be the Bridge, white people must realize the privilege that comes from our whiteness. Quote, until we see and understand the privilege that comes with our whiteness, we cannot accomplish the necessary work of dismantling this unjust system of advantage. We can begin to roll back racial injustice when we learn to recognize these places where we benefit from our whiteness. Then we'll be able to leverage our privilege to open up access to those benefits for people of every race. End quote. Page 14. In this portion of the guide, they promote W.E.B. Du Bois as developing the term, quote, the wages of whiteness, end quote, as the seed of white privilege, which Peggy McIntosh coined in her essay, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, which they also promote in this guide. Neither of these people were Christian by any means, though Dubois used religious terminology in his writings. Dubois's writings were not gospel nor Christ-centered, but were writings to relay themes of suffering, oppression, female messiahs, I don't know where that comes from, and apocalyptic visions. But most importantly in his writings was his advocacy for communism. Macintosh is a self-proclaimed feminist and anti-racism activist, both of which are antithetical to biblical teachings. There are many, many problems with Dubois' teachings, especially since they promote a Marxist worldview found within communism with the oppressor-oppressed dynamic and the over-proclamation of class struggle as the basis for all oppression. But I want to look at Peggy McIntosh and her assessment of white privileges, because these so-called privileges are how CRT assesses oppression. These privileges are assigned to be sinful on the part of the nation or community because a just society would not give out privileges to one race and not granted to another, right? So let's look at just a few of these privileges Macintosh and, by proxy, be the bridge, states white people have that people of color do not have. Also note that the narrative is that these privileges give advantages to white people while disadvantaging people of color. So the first one on her uh, list of privileges. I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. Now, let's ask ourselves if this is a sin. Is it a transgression against God to be, the com- to be in the company of my race most of the time? Let's leave out that in American culture, this is extremely hard to do as we are a melting pot of ethnicities Even in a small group of white-skinned people, you have multiple ethnicities and even cultures, but that's not going to be on Peggy's radar because race is the lens that she sees with, and really it's white versus people of color race. I think mostly just on my neighborhood alone, I live in New Jersey and I guess I don't have the privilege of just being in a community where it's mostly white people. Where I live is, yeah, a melting pot. And I have no problem with that. I think it's great. But let's just say it might be in a community where it is mostly people of lesser melanin colored skin. That doesn't mean they're all the same ethnicity. You have Italian ethnicity, you have German ethnicity, and these are cultures too that are vastly, vastly different, but yet we kind of have the same skin color. So this is something that I just, that would have to be investigated even more deeply, but it's not even taken into consideration in Peggy's assessment of the culture in America, period. Her second uh, privilege is, if I should need to move, I can pretty, or I can 
be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can't afford and in which I would want to live. I'm having a hard time seeing if this is a race issue. Maybe a class issue? And by this, is she insinuating that a white person, regardless of the amount of money they make, can actually live anywhere? My husband and I only make it make a certain amount of money. We cannot choose to live in a community where houses cost millions of dollars. We couldn't afford the house. Already we are seeing privileges soon be given because of race when in actuality they might be uh, given to somebody based on class. Her third one, I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. And wow. This is how she views white people. That these neighbors, which, you know, she means other white people because these are privileges white people have that black people do not. The assumption then is that white neighbors are not neutral or pleasant to black people in their community. To make this a privilege for white people, she must know white people's hearts. The fourth one is, I can go shopping alone most of the time pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. Again, (laughs) assuming other white people follow or harass people of color just because they are people of color. Now, I'm not sure what she means by harassed. Um, Harassment has a very specific meaning. Asking questions is not harassment. Just saying. So this privilege is left too open-ended for us to actually know what she means, giving license to people to draw their own interpretation of it. So we'll have to interpret it as followed and harassed because of suspicion. Macintosh believes that we as white people have the privilege of not being suspiciously looked at as a possible threat or thief. But is it true to assume that people that have that suspicion are basing it solely on the color of someone's skin? Usually it takes other things than just color of skin for white people to decide to look deeper into the situation, such as attitude, speech, suspicious behavior, and even dress. Those can be applied to white people as well. Because, you know, it's not just people of color that do nefarious things. White people can steal as well, Peggy. And that's just the first couple so-called privileges Peggy McIntosh and Be The Bridge want to claim white people have. Remember, these are seen as being unjust in America's white supremacist culture because they are supposed privileges that people of color do not have. And the idea that it is the lack of these privileges that keep people of color from having not only equal opportunity, but equal outcomes. So my conclusion today. I believe Christian women, really any Christian, should really think about, one, whether or not identifying themselves with the white race is in any way helpful to their sanctification. Will this make them more righteous? Does God want white people to identify with the racist people of America's past, or even racist, the traditional definition of our current time? Is our reconciliation with God contingent on our reconciliation with a people group we've never actually sinned against? Is it part of our sanctification to gain a vision for capitalizing on our identity as white people in order to bring about a more just society and to be a source of good in the world, as Be the Bridge claims? Where in any of Latasha's work is Christ-centered? Second, Christian women should think about privilege. Go to scripture. Is privilege a form of oppression? Does oppression result from an unequal distribution of privilege or from a rejection of God's righteousness? Is it a sin to exercise privilege? Who ultimately is the giver of privileges? Does God grant privileges to some and not to others? Does scripture talk as if all should have the same privileges? Where do we differentiate? between privilege and consequences. Now, this word is often absent from the conversation, and I think that's because CRT chalks all outcomes up to whether one has privilege, a form of power, according to critical race theory, or not. Making the outcome a result of something outside of personal responsibility while consequences, good or bad, 
are a result of individual choices, beliefs, actions, etc. This needs to be brought to the conversation, even if people want to root it in fragility, because scripture is very clear that there is an outcome to our action and beliefs. There is a consequence to all who transgress God's law, who do not trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. The consequence is God's wrath. And no one's race or lack of privileges is going to be taken in consideration by God on the day of judgment. It is unloving for me to focus on privilege and ignore the consequences that come from sin in not only my own life, but someone else's life. And Be the Bridge wants our eyes off of God's definition of sin and instead wants us to focus on the world's, or I would really clarify, Marx's and social justice warriors' definition of sin, that all do not have the same. So I hope I have given you some food for thought and maybe given you a little bit of ammunition in your pocket if this type of teaching comes your way. Until next week where we will look at the last two steps, which is overcoming white fragility and recognizing white supremacy. And the next episode, until then, I pray you are in God's word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.